0: Isaiah chapter 9 is a verse we have been meditating on in a sense to begin the year. It's awesome good news of the increase of God's kingdom reign, there will be no end. So we're in the middle of of a fasting and feasting to start the year together with this focus on this incredibly hopeful promise. as there are many others that coincide with it in especially in the, the New Testament and the invitation of the gospel from Jesus which says the kingdom of God is at hand. That's an invitation for more of the kingdom reign to be encountered on a personal basis and then moving outward. So we can really, bank on this promise that God gives us that he wants his kingdom to increase in our lives right now in 2022. That is the heart of God for you. And that promise, that reality, the nature of God to grab onto that, to believe that will change your life. That God is so good, his will is to see his kingdom Is full of the goodness that we long for. It's the the perfection of heaven that gets to be experienced now, in measure, right now on earth, transforming all of the, the pain and the hurt and the brokenness with the perfection and the goodness of heaven. And we saw in the life of Jesus that he truly wants that to be a touch, an encounter. He says the kingdom of God is at hand, so repent and believe. As we turn towards him, as we respond, as we walk in faith, we get to experience more of the increase of his kingdom in our lives. And Jesus does not put a limit on what that's going to look like. And that's what we love to go after with big faith in our church. Well, if Jesus didn't put a limo- limit on it, then we don't want to limit him. We want to come hungry and say, "God, what is that increase that you have? What is it the way that you want to encounter my life that that makes me want to declare like the apostle Paul that you have so much goodness and power coming my way. It's above and beyond what I even thought possible." That's the kind of life we, we get to live in Jesus as we follow him and seek his increase. And so last week we started looking at, so what's our part in this relationship with God? It's all about relationship. So what's our part? What's our response? What is our response ability? And we looked at Matthew 25, a very famous parable of the talents. And in summary, we saw that Jesus talks about a responsibility for all of life, kind of one of those big parables that says, hey, this is your part in life. Very famously, talks about investing well, essentially, whether you've been given five, two, or one talents, in the sense of it doesn't matter what you start with, it's about what you do with it. Life is about investing well to see kingdom increase because God's will is increased, He gave whatever he gave you, whatever you've got, whatever you start with, invest it well, because God wants to see it multiply. Then he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what it's all about, increase. Now I'm going to give you more. And you get to invest it back in the kingdom and see increase happen again. It's this upward spiral of increase of his kingdom in our lives as we invest well. So I want to dial down, kind of drill down a little bit more in to what does it look like to invest well that's where we're going to land this morning investing well looks like disciplined self-controlled steps towards a goal you self-control wasn't that a typo that that made it into the fruit of the spirit that sounds boring or even restrictive self control, discipline. Sounds like religion, rules, regulations. I'm just being gut level honest. Like, you know, reading through the Bible, I never have really gotten excited about, ooh, self control. I can't wait till that's in my life. Doesn't sound fun at all. But show me a person with a lack of self control and discipline, I'll show you someone with a lot of unrealized goals. There is, where there is no self-control or discipline, there will be an abundance of unachieved goals. And that's just a fact. And as I'm getting old, starting to look back on life, I can see the wisdom of the Lord in self-control being a good thing, a powerful thing. Kind of came up just even a couple days later, a couple days ago, uh, on the way to school with my son, and we're talking about goals and dreams. And kind of harkened back even into high school and made me even reflect a little bit on, you know what, as I'm thinking about self-control, if I look back and see the things that, goals and dreams, that I would look back and say, these are kingdom things, these are good things that God had put in my life, increase of his kingdom, they're tied to self-control. They're tied to discipline. They're tied to me following through on my part and investing well with what God was doing. You know, I can think of it some, in some senses on, on the sports field, which, you know, I enjoyed, and that was a gift from the Lord in some measure, and it's a, it's a you know, kids' youth sports and all that it teaches about teamwork and those kind of things, are great lessons, and I can look back and be like, yeah, my senior year, as I really invested in football and put the time and the effort in when a lot of my friends took that summer off, and it was just me and Willie Woods, two seniors, that invested deeply in all the practices and all the two-a-days and all the summer stuff And I can look back on my other friends who didn't, and they kind of jumped in at the end of all that. And I was like, hmm, you know what? Like, successes came our way as we put in that hard work. But in an even bigger way, I remember, and this is what I started talking about with my son, putting in the work in the classroom. Because he's got this dream to, you know, get a scholarship to go to college and play basketball. And that's all, you know, a, a big dream right now in his life, a big goal. And we're starting to think about the reality of, hey, you know, some, for some of the schools, especially private schools, there's the truth that if you're a well-rounded person, it's not just about what you can do on the basketball court, but you can get scholarships for being a, a complete package, so to speak. You can, you know, you excel on the court. That's great. That's, a, that's part of it. But if you can demonstrate, that, especially a private Christian school, that you've got a heart for missions. He signed up to go to a, on his own, not even my idea. It was awesome to see. Go to a, a Mexico mission trip over spring break. And then as well, like the classroom showing yourself to be a scholar athlete, present yourself as a well-rounded person, that could change your life. So I started giving him this speech, and in some ways it was coming out of reflecting on one of those areas where I see discipline made a difference in my life. So I started telling the story about that extra hard work at times, the discipline of it, the self-control of it, even though it might not seem fun at the time, and you just kind of like want to take it easy or whatever, it changed my life. And I said, in fact, you wouldn't exist without it. Kind of that perked his interest, right? So told him the true story of how, like, I wanted to go to UCSD when I was a kid. I was a junior in high school, and I don't know exactly why. Probably, like, with all my wisdom, it was close to the beach. <laughs> so, for what, That's a, maybe as far as it got. I don't know. God's, in God's sovereign goodness, he had a plan. But I really wanted to go to that school. Didn't even want to really consider other schools. And, and then I get the good news from my uh, academic counselor. Uh, yeah, don't even apply. There's no chance you're making it. Oh, that's, that's encouraging. Uh, but there was some truth to it, because my SAT scores were like 150 points below the minimum, or the practice ones that I'd taken, were like 150 points below the minimum of apply, where they say, like, if you're not here, don't even apply. So I was like 150 points below that. So talking to my parents, we said, hey, let's, let's go for this. So we decided to do a, a you know, SAT prep class, where I remember as a junior, I'm driving to Riverside back in the day on like two or three nights a week. To go to this eight-week class, and I wanted to do it because I had a goal, and so I'm driving and I'm studying and I'm working hard and going the extra mile, and sure enough, raised my test scores 200 points, and got into my you know one and only school <laughs> that I wanted to go to, and that's where I met my wife, and that's where Daniel, not where Daniel happened, that's where Daniel was made a possibility to happen. So I told him that, you know, and and uh, just that's that's the truth. You know, that, that right there changed my life. Like if I hadn't gone to UCSD, hadn't put in the, you know, back it up, I don't meet your mom, you don't exist. And so just trying to build into him the reality. Sometimes that discipline is necessary to reach your goals. In fact, probably the, the, all, if not almost all, of the greatest goals in your life that you see happening are going to be directly tied back to discipline and self-control. So trying to build that in. And then, of course, his question is, So, who got a higher test? You or mom? (laughs) So, who got a higher score? I'm thinking I'm having this great fatherly moment, right? And and, uh, his immediate response, well, that's, you know, I'm like, Daniel, you wouldn't even exist without self control and discipline. So, who got a higher score on the test? You or mom? (laughs) I'm not answering that, no. No, actually, by God's amazing grace, this is a true story, my wife and I got the exact same score on our SATs. Because Lord knows our relationship could not handle it if it was otherwise. There, there would be, be something that one of us we'd be bringing up regularly, I'll just say that. But true story. But, but in some sense that was a fun story for my son, but it really did kind of reinforce the reality of how much discipline and self-control is connected to kingdom increase. Kingdom goals. I mean, you could probably reflect right now. Look at the things in your life where you would say, these are the, the places where there's been a greatest kingdom increase, where I've seen God just, wow, move and transform things, bring big breakthrough, big blessing, big increase. And then look at it and say, did you play any part? My guess is that there is going to be a direct link between kingdom increase and the discipline and self-control that you put in to partner with God. To see kingdom increase. And there's kind of a, a, a mind shift that can be taking place in regards to self-control. I know that's what you know has been happening with me over the years. Is to see that there's a beauty and a power about self-control. Because it's ultimately about being able to follow through with our part on the things that we know we need to do and know we want to do. Kind of test out this definition. It's in your lift notes. I feel like it's something maybe worth meditating on. The word self-control in the Bible is not, uh, does not have a lot of deep nuance to it. You know how there's some of those awesome words where they just mean so much, and you can just look up the definition in Greek and be like, wow, that's so amazing. That's enlightening. That's a message in itself. All I need to do is is, is reflect on the depth of the meaning of this word. And I'm getting ministered to by the Holy Spirit. Well, in the Greek, self-control means controlling yourself. So it's like, that's it. <laughs> Meditate on that. But in a sense, that's deep. If a fruit of the Spirit is self-control, this and test this out here. This is kind of me reflecting. Self-control is the power to live above impulse. In order to say yes to what you want to say yes to and no to what you want to say no to. In order to achieve the goals that you have, the kingdom goals, the kingdom of God goals. In order to achieve the goals you have and become the person that you want to be, that God wants you to be, that's more like Jesus. So it's that power, and that's what flipped it for me, is the sense of actually self-control is not restricting you. Self-control is power. It's power to overcome those impulses where you end up like Romans 7, Paul saying, I do what I don't want to do and it's so frustrating. Who's going to save me from this? Jesus. He's crying out for self-control. And being very honest where there is times when he loses and he does the things he doesn't want to do and it doesn't end in a good place. And that's where right after Romans 7 or before it actually he kind of sandwiches the the honest raw failures that happen at times with the good news in Romans 6 and 8 and here let's just jump right to it Romans 6:12 Paul says right before he talks about at times the failures of self-control that he's experiencing he says but let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey it's passions. And that's kind of where I get that sense of, okay, well, that's not self-control. And so self-control is having power over those impulses. And it's shown right here. There's times when sin makes you obey its passions. You can act like, we can act like, especially pre-Christ, but at times, in Christ still, we can act like slaves to sin, where are the sin makes us obey its passions. Those impulses that come, and it's like, oh, we feel like we're a slave to sin, like we don't have any control against it. We're just stepping into that temptation, and even though it's not what we want to do, and us know we know it's not what we should do, it's not who we want to be, we feel like, oh, it's got control. Paul goes on to say, Well, that's not self-control, right? You don't, you're not in control, there's no power over it. And Paul's saying don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That's part of it. So there's the discipline to not put yourself in situations where you begin to feel like you have to obey or you feel like a slave to obeying sin's passions. Don't present yourself as member, your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. And here we go. And this is how we know he's already talking about people who are Believers. This is not, some people say, oh, well, that's just before you're Christian. Well, uh, except that Paul says exactly the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> but present yourselves to God as those who have been, that's past tense, have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are already not under the law, but under grace. So you're already in Christ. And so here is the good news, the promise, the potential when we walk with God by his spirit, which he's going to go off on in chapter 8, right here. Sin will have no power or dominion over you. So that's a promise. That's That's something that we can live into in Christ. That we are no longer slaves to sin, as he says that directly a little bit later. That we don't have to be slaves to sin. We don't have to have those things that where it makes us obey impulses. Oh, we just have to obey. No, you don't. Sin does not have to have dominion over you, it says. Sin does not have to be your master. Self-control is that fruit of the spirit that says, no, sin, you're not going to be my master. I have power over you in Christ. And that's where it can get very exciting to say, you know what, God, I want to learn to walk in the discipline and the self-control in your spirit so that impulses and sin and those unhealthy passions, they don't master me, rather I have power over them. I'm I'm able to say no to the things that I want to say no to and yes to the things I want to say yes to, and I'm not just living by impulse that's kind of taking me into places that I don't want to be. And that's directly tied to being able to follow through then with kingdom goals. So, are we going to be controlled by impulses? Are we going to have power over those to really do what we want to do with the long term in mind? And that's where this self-control can be a a really healthy mindset. Instead of something we recoil from that's like, ooh, I don't want discipline, self-control. Ooh, that sounds boring. That sounds religious. Nope, it's the powerful path to freedom. It says nothing's going to own me except Christ. <laughs> the Spirit of Christ is the only thing I want to surrender to, only thing I want to give myself to and say be my master, Spirit of Christ. Live through me so I have power over every other thing in my life. So looking at self-control, though, can be a, a challenging thing. It, 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 it can be a window into the soul. A window into the reality of there's a lot more on the journey that we can all walk on. There's a lot more of that transformation of Christ that is possible. And that's where it can be hopeful. Because it shows us if we're living impulsively and reactively from kind of one desperate need to another, then God's good news is, hey, there's a lot more power that I want to grow into you. So that you aren't pulled by those impulses and passions that keep you from being able to long term achieve the goals that I have for you and that you want for you. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Which is, that's an interesting picture because you think of broken into. That's like something that someone else did. But this is, no, self-control. So this is in a sense that when you aren't walking in self-control, you have broken down your own walls. You have opened yourself up to vulnerability from outside forces that can harm you. And so self-control is meant to become this shield that protects You in those vulnerable places that you don't want exposed to outside forces that want to harm you. Paul gives his own example of this battle for self-control. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, outside of Romans 6 through 8, which is a whole great three passages about self-control ultimately leading to Walking in the Power of the Spirit that I encourage you to, to read. It's very hopeful, affirming the message that in Christ and by His Spirit we can live in powerful self-control over the temptations of sin. But Paul it uses a cool analogy that I really enjoy. I shared a little bit of it yesterday at the at the men's gathering, but I want to go a little deeper here with some very specific things to think about. 1 Corinthians 24 to 27, Paul's really kind of sharing some of his own testimony and his mindset about the importance of self-control as it's related to achieving goals in the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Let's look at a few of the verses here, and there's some incredible ways in which we can get inspired and encouraged by by Paul's example here. Do you not know that in a race, everyone runs, but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. In other words, run to win at life. That's what he's talking about. So here is biblical justification for being really competitive, which I'm so happy about. It's like the tenth fruit of the Spirit. Paul just forgot it in the other list, but competition is holy. There's only one trophy. That's real life, people. None of this handing out trophies to everybody, all the losers. Just just kidding. No, I got to be careful. (laughs) It happens. I had to repent uh, in two of my uh, 10 outings as uh, my son's football coach last season. But but two out of 10 is not bad. I mean, that means 80% of the time I had (laughs) self-control. Two out of 10, I repented, which is a fact, honestly. I had to repent to my 10-year-old son twice, who informed me after the game that I was not acting as I want to. Which was true. I did. I had a lack of self-control. My competition, fruit of the spirit, <laughs> canceled out that other one. But seriously, Paul is is talking about life here. And He is using a metaphor saying all of life, if you want to look at it, is a competition that you want to win. That we need to take responsibility for is his point. We need to take responsibility seriously, plan to win, run to win. Now he's talking about because it's your life. It's no one else's life. What are you doing with your life? Do you have the mindset of I am investing well to win according to God's standards? And to win, I would define that based on everywhere else in the Bible and what Paul says would be achieving the kingdom goals that God has for you. We're going to see in a minute here, this is not a ruthless spirit of competition that squashes everybody else. That's, that's not it. That's not the fruit of the spirit competition. He's talking about these kingdom goals that God has put in you, healthy, holy kingdom goals where you desire, you long, To live into the promises of God in your life, into the things that God has told you about his heart, his nature, the increase of his kingdom in your life. And he's saying, do you take that personally seriously with the attitude of, I've only got one shot, I'm running to win. I want to see all of the kingdom goals that God has for my life, I want to see them come to pass. And he uses this analogy to say to win at life. To see the kingdom goals come to pass, you have to be like the best athletes in the world. And he goes over to this analogy to say, they are exemplary in this way. They, he quotes them, or he quotes about them, they exercise self-control in all things. You see that? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. And he's saying this as... A model. This is an example, he's saying. You can look to athletes and you can see in their life, because they're so passionate about winning the race or whatever it might be, that self-control is a given, accepted, accepted challenge way of life. It's a way of life. A way of life, Paul says, in everything. They exercise self-control in all things for this race. So it's how they train, how they eat, how they sleep. Their whole approach to life has self-control rooted in it, permeated throughout it, so they can win. It's a way of life for them. Paul says that kind of mindset is exemplary except for things of eternal value. That's what we're going for. And you can think about that mindset. Every single time a champion is crowned, you hear it in the speech. And appropriately. Almost always. You know, beyond thinking Jesus and their favorite puppy. You know. They credit, what is it? All the hard work we put in in the off season, All the hard work when no one was looking. First in the gym, last out of the gym. It's the mindset. None of them ever give a speech that say, you know what, yep, so glad we won, just totally sat on the couch and drank beer all off season, and I just, woo, waltzed right in here, easy peasy, took home the crown. No one ever says that. It's not true. If you're going to be the greatest athlete in the world and win, you have to put in the work. And Paul is interestingly pointing to them and saying there's truly something exemplary. That kind of mindset to to have self-control as a way of life in everything in order to achieve your highest goal, that is something we should copy, except we're going for things of eternal value. He says right here, they do it, the athletes, it, meaning self-control in everything in life, they do it to receive a perishable prize, something that's going to rot, a, a trophy that is just going to pass away and fade with the dust someday. They do it in order to receive a perishable prize, we unimperishable. So it's, it's really short, but we unimperishable is this you know, grammatical connection to saying everything I just said about them We do the same thing except for an imperishable prize. In other words, he's saying, so we too want to exercise self-control in everything. But for an eternal prize. For things of eternal value. So self-control for him is saying it's this way of life. So that we can step into all of those kingdom goals that God has for us. It's our part in the relationship. He goes on to say, so I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. So he's just continuing to emphasize that self-control is connected to purpose. And that's huge. That we don't Desire to have self-control just for the sake of like, yeah, I'm heaping on myself. Like, This is where the religion thing can just get overblown and unhealthy. Just rules and regulations. That's not what it's about. He's saying we want to live with self-control because we have our eyes on the prize. And they're deeply connected. So the best way to say no... The best way to have power to say no to those unhealthy impulses and yes to the things that you know you need to do is to have a better yes than the temptation of the no. And Paul, in this case, is looking forward, saying, I have so many exciting promises and kingdom goals that I've got coming my way in Christ As I have heard his call and say, the kingdom of God is at hand. And here's what it's going to look like to transform your life here and here and here. More of heaven's goodness. And so he says, I've got my eyes on the prize. And that yes that's coming my way is so much bigger and better than this impulse in the moment. It's so much better than the no that I can just say no. Because I've got something way better in Christ. Sometimes we got to look to a short-term yes. Sometimes it's a long-term yes. To battle those impulses, to battle those temptations, to battle those things that want to, that test our self-control. It's about having a better yes. Maybe right now in the next 10 minutes or maybe it's the long-term of what you know you don't want to get derailed from. You don't want to mess up. You don't want to, lose, because God has something so much better that he is bringing our way. That there is that strength to say, nope. can say no now, because I got my eyes on the prize. And you can apply that everywhere. It's not discipline for the sake of being disciplined. It's about the goal that ultimately is coming our way in Christ that's a blessing for us that exalts God. We sang that song this morning. We want to exalt him above everything. Khalid made the beautiful prayer. And that's not just a song. That's life. And this is exactly right, right here. When those moments of temptation come, it's about exalting Christ, saying, I want to put you higher than anything else. Whatever we need to find in the moment that is a bigger yes in God, To cut the power of whatever is trying to throw us off track. Because who are we competing against? Ourself. That's what Paul goes on to say. When we joked about competition, Paul's not, I mean he used that picture of running the race, but it's amazing how it becomes, and at the end of the day, that race is against me. I'm competing against myself the same thing in Romans 6, where there's that war inside, where sin wants us to obey its passions. That's the battle Paul's talking about. Look, he goes to the very last verse verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified from the race. So who's this competition in the race? Himself. I mean, this is that biblical picture of personal responsibility. At the end of the day, no one can run the race for you except you. And so Paul takes that reality seriously, and he's saying, so sometimes the competition that we're facing, who we need to fight, is ourself. By the power of the Spirit, discipline ourselves to be able to say no to those temptations that want to disqualify disqualify us from all of the goodness and the blessings and the increase that God is bringing our way. He knows that obstacle that's going to keep him from winning in the way that God wants him to win can be himself. Or another way to say it is that sometimes discipline and self-control are the things standing in between you and the God-sized goals and dreams that you have for your life and that God has for your life. But that's where Paul talks about this fighting of the good fight, this disciplining ourself, even in small things, where we look to see what, how can we put our eyes on the prize, how can we find a better yes. And I'll just give two Very specific examples that in some senses may seem small, but I'm absolutely convinced that if you can learn to what it feels like to be disciplined in the small things, we are training our soul to be able to level up and be disciplined in greater things. It's like scalable principle for life. You win in the little, then you can win in the big, which not ironically is exactly What Jesus talked about in the parable of the talents. When you're faithful with the little, you get told by God, well done, good and faithful servant, now I'm going to give you more. So when we're faithful with the little things, and we can start little, just give him our little tiny yes, and let his spirit work with that. All of this, by the way, this is not a self-help on your own strength message at all. The whole point of this is This is in Christ, surrendered to his spirit, learning to abide in him, learning to seek him as the living water, learning to taste and see that he is good, and and communing with his spirit. That's what Romans 8 is all about, so that we can start to walk in self-control and sin loses its temptation, loses its power. We don't have to live by impulse anymore because we have something better in Christ so it's all about being connected to his spirit. Learning to taste that he, and see that he is good. So when something that is trying to say hey I'm tasty, we can say no because there's the bread of life. So right now coming out of our fast, we've kind of got one more week for those who are joining us in the three week fast. The encouragement that I would give is as you finish this week in the fast look to those things that you've been fasting from. There's a good chance that God might be wanting to highlight those as areas that now that the fast is over, we don't just go back and freely indulge, but they're areas of increased self-control so that there's a greater feast on his presence and the bread of life throughout the whole year. So two specific examples for me are Facebook and sugar, and that's real. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it might seem small to you. It might seem big. But this is where it's, like, scalable. As we get little victories, they get bigger. So I noticed, for me, that my mind was physically becoming addicted to the hit of social media, to where I'm working in the day and and maybe work for 45 minutes and then I feel it. I want to go click Facebook. Why? For no reason other than some little Empty hit of scrolling for three minutes on nothing, and it does not satisfy the soul. But it's the checks mix that has that you know it's not the prime rib of Psalm sixty three. God, your presence is the marrow and fatness. It's me settling, searching, looking for bread in the wrong place. That's checks mix that for the moment is like okay, that kind of was like all right, uh, checks mix. I'm full. I'll go back to work now, but it never satisfies. And I'm just talking to me. I'm not saying this is you. I'm saying, for me, I can feel it. And so I'll, with excitement, I'm like, I want to fast from that. And I want to train my mind to stop going one, two, three, ten times a day into something that never satisfied. And I'm not, this is not even sin. I'm not clicking on Facebook and then going into, you know, uh, you know awful pornography. I'm saying I am just, instead of taking that breath and communing with God, I'm just going to nothing. And it's, there's such a better way to live. There's more. There's bread of life. There's living water. There's the prime rib of of communion with him versus just empty checks Mix. And so that's for me where it's like, okay, I love the fast because me, I'm just, no Facebook. So throughout the day, I can feel it, you know. On the computer, it's like, oh, was just a little hit. Nope, don't. And, and you know, and then it's like, psh, dude, after three weeks, it's like I have no need for it. I have no desire for it. I don't even feel it anymore. It's, uh, there's so much better things. But the temptation now, when the fast is over, is, okay, cool, completed the fast. And, you know, so my, my better yes has just been spending more time in God's Word, spending more time in worship, feeling that little restlessness, go out, soak in the sun a little bit, turn on a worship song, do a little exercise, take some good, you know, breaths in the Lord, a number of different things that are all way better, more satisfying, exalting to God, helping my soul feel more peace and joy and hope throughout the day. And yet the temptation is now as soon as the fast is over, we go back to the same exact routine. And so that's where I'm just issuing the healthy challenge for all of you that is the same exact one for me is you're probably, your radar is heightened right now as you come out of the fast. It's part of fasting. We feel the hunger. When we fast from things that aren't necessarily bad, we can feel the hunger and it's to feast on God. And so what if we just made that more of our lifestyle, a way of life, like Paul's saying? In everything, in all things. Look at the athletes. They discipline themselves in everything in order to win. And that's where there's the healthy challenge of maybe coming out of the fast. Is there an increase in discipline in all things for you? To where you're spending less time on the checks Mix and more time on the prime rib as a way of life. And it becomes, and I can honestly say that this has been fun for the past, you know, however many years we've been doing this, seven, eight, ten years, because I can see things that ten years ago were challenges to fast from for three weeks are now an absolute just way of life that don't even feel like a challenge anymore. But yet there's always more. There's new things that still feel like a challenge that God is saying, hey, I want to grow you as that athlete in my kingdom that's moving towards that way of life that joyfully says, in everything, I've got self-control because I want to win. The maximum winnings of kingdom increase to the degree that I have a part in it, to the degree that I'm called to run the race and to steward well what God has given me. And to invest for increase, and to live with self control to the degree that that stuff is my part in the relationship, God, where can where are you inviting me to grow? And His Spirit will be there. There's plenty of grace for when we mess up. I mean, Paul's the perfect example. He finishes chapter seven of Romans, saying, "Who will deliver me from this body of death?" I mean it. it That's a guy who's in a little pit of despair. He's mad at himself because he's feeling like, man, I I lost the race here, today at least, or this week. And then one of the most hopeful, grace-filled, promise-filled chapters in all of the Bible comes in Romans 8, where he says, the first thing he says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. First of all, So Christ took all of that shame, all of that sin, all of that failure. He's already taken it all to the cross. It's gone. You're a beloved child of God who has a spirit of God who cries out as a beloved child, Abba, Father. That's all Romans 8. And then he goes on to say that who can separate us from the love of God? Nobody, nothing. He's already given us his son, so he's going to give us everything else. And he goes on just to say that we have the Spirit of God inside of us for victory. And so this is not in any fashion about beating yourself up. It's saying in Christ there's no condemnation. So how can I be transformed more, Lord? Show me how by the power of your Spirit in me and basking in my identity as an already loved child of God. Show me how by your Spirit I can steward well what you've put in front of me. Show me how I can learn to love self-control because I know, I have my eyes on the prize and I know that it just means winning in your kingdom. Self-control means winning in your kingdom, Lord. And it means more of those goals that I long for are coming my way in breakthrough. You get the glory and I get to walk in your abundance, Lord. Let's, let's pray on those things. I will sing a new song, I will sing a new song, I will dance a new dance like David.